your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, hello, hello again, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoy this episode and want to stay tuned to the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is always free, and make sure you never miss another episode. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. On this episode of the podcast, we will be taking a look at Winnipeg versus Vancouver, which was a big response game after the past couple of losses to the Edmonton Oilers. If you missed the past few episodes and wanted to know what exactly transpired against Edmonton, the long and short of it is that Winnipeg kind of got McDavided, but I think the other situation is that the Jets also sort of gave uh, Edmonton a lot of the same matchups that, you know, the Oilers have typically exploited. Winnipeg's 55 line versus the 97 line almost never works out for the Jets, and this is a matchup that, regardless of whether or not Edmonton has had last change, the Jets just chase this anyways, because I feel like Winnipeg, you know, theorizes that having Shifley out there versus McDavid means they can use their other matchups to take advantage of Edmonton's lack of depth. Problem is, when you do that, what ends up happening is that the Jets actually concede plenty of goals with Shifley on the ice. Unfortunately, that that 55 top line doesn't really do particularly well against McDavid. So in that situation, what you kind of have to do is just roll your top three lines instead of trying to match, you know, Shifley versus McDavid. If you know that Shifley is going to have his line absolutely get tanked in, especially with Wheeler and Stastny not really being the most fleet of foot, then you sort of have to live with it and understand that no matter what, McDavid will win a lot of his matchups. That said, you could kind of distribute it across three lines and have maybe a little bit of a better chance of not getting caved in every shift. You know, when Lowry's line was on the ice, even though they occasionally got hemmed in inside their defensive zone against McDavid, they also had a couple more zone exits than the 55 line was capable of. So, you know, obviously the the lines are going to get caved in. I think the only one that could actually realistically skate with McDavid is probably the second line. And even then, that, that unit is not particularly great defensively. So, crap happens. Um, but I, I also think that the Jets didn't really adjust once Edmonton had the lead. And, and of course, Dave Tippett loves clogging up the neutral zone with like three to four guys just shutting down every single lane and breakout area that the Jets tend to use. It kind of highlighted how stagnant Winnipeg's puck movement and breakouts are, which is a bit of a shame because the Jets have plenty of skill to create a lot more opportunities than what they showed us. Those two games were very frustrating and kind of took the Jets into, you know, what should have been an easier matchup against the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver is currently without young superstar Elias Pettersson, which means that the Jets basically have to take advantage of the matchup and hope that they can win these games. The Canucks don't quite have the same superstar talent in their top six that Edmonton does, and I don't think anyone really in the NHL does. Even in Toronto, you know, a team that's got, you know, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, I don't really think anyone quite holds a candle to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, especially now that they've got Kyler Yamamoto and uh, Yesapuya Yarvi entering the scene. I expected the Jets to be pretty, you know, lively, but I will say that when the Jets came into this game, it was an interesting start. Winnipeg, you know, especially in their first period, seemed very much open to creating a lot of offensive counters and some really high-danger scoring chances. 
but occasionally I felt like the Jets were a bit wasteful because, you know, they would kind of overpass in a couple of sequences, and sure, they did catch Vancouver's D napping on numerous occasions. Everyone knows that the Canucks' blue line is pretty slow, it's not particularly great, and when one of your top defenders, Alexander Edler, basically gets caught flat-footed on every rush, you know that they're basically relying on guys like Nate Schmidt to handle that load and, and occasionally turning to Tyler Myers. And Nate Schmidt, while he's very good, definitely can't support that entire blue line with Quinn Hughes by himself. Vancouver's D probably has more puck movers than the Jets do, but they also still have a lot of defensive flaws, much like Winnipeg does. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of like looking at a mirror. I think the biggest difference is that the Jets certainly have a lot more distributed forward talent and less of a terrible cap situation to deal with. In this first period, the Jets had, I, th I thought at first, like a pretty good start. Um, Winnipeg created some really good opportunities. And then off of a, a blue line turnover from Alexander Edler, after he mishandled the puck, Blake Wheeler and one of the other forwards ended up on a 2-1-1. The last uh, Canuck skater back tried to slide across the slot, and Thatcher Demko was actually cheating towards the post and leaning because he didn't really trust the defender to block the passing lane. So Wheeler just shot instead and ended up leaking it through his five hole. I'm sure Demko was displeased, but it's one of those situations where when you don't really have complete confidence in the situation, you try and create an extra angle or, or try and cheat towards the shooter, but you end up exposing yourself just slightly and enough to make Wheeler, who's a very experienced veteran, have that right shooting angle. The Jets ended up taking that one nothing lead throughout the rest of the period, but it actually got pretty hairy for Winnipeg because, let's be honest, we all know that the Jets, when they have a lead, tend to be really leaky defensively, and that's definitely true here. The Jets just really didn't give Hellebuck a lot of support in the uh, low slot area, which left a, a frightening amount of shooting lanes and gaps for Vancouver to try and capitalize on. Thankfully, you know, Connor Hellebuck has been very wise to almost everything. Anytime Vancouver got anywhere near the, uh, the front of the net, Hellebuck was very good to shut down those angles and make some really great glove saves. In many ways, I hate that the Jets kind of rely on guys like Hellebuck to continuously make these great, fabulous saves, but on the other hand, you certainly would rather have Hellebuck in net than anyone else. To Persuas' credit, he's also been pretty good, but I think everyone can agree that, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, Connor Hellebuck is the best goaltender in the North. Thatcher Demko, on the other hand, despite those uh, one or two mistakes he made, he had a really great period, and I felt like Winnipeg was probably a little unfortunate, despite being wasteful in other opportunities, not to be up like 2 nothing. It's not like the Canucks are exactly a defensive juggernaut either, so all in all, I would say that it was a pretty back-and-forth period. Vancouver was probably credited with the better scoring opportunities because they actually took shots in those areas, but the Jets actually had a couple of really great crossing passes and movements that just didn't really result in actual shots on goal or even shot attempts. Hopefully, you know, heading into the second period, Winnipeg would tighten things up and actually create a more defensive structure, especially because Vancouver, despite being not exactly the strongest roster right now, is still a dangerous team on the counter. We'll take a peek at whether or not this actually held true, because let's be honest, the Jets, when they have a lead heading into later periods, well, Winnipeg doesn't have a great reputation. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are currently discussing Winnipeg's game against Vancouver, which of course followed two straight defeats to the Edmonton Oilers. Big game for the Jets. A chance for a, a statement and a response after those uh, crushing losses. And of course, the Jets had an interesting first period where they did in fact lead one nothing. but maybe we didn't all feel super great about it. Now it's time to look at the second period and beyond. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I did want to tell you a little bit about why Locked on Today needs to be in your daily podcast rotation. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your shows. 
And now on to what was a, a fairly eventful period in terms of scoring chances and shots for the Jets, but not exactly a period that anyone I think would be happy to stay up for. Spoiler alert, neither team actually scored in the entire 20 minutes, which is a little bit surprising. I would say that the Jets, generally speaking, had the edge in really dangerous chances, but for the most part, I feel like both teams... I don't know, it felt a little strange, like both teams were definitely creating chances off the rush, and the Jets occasionally had some very good zone possession, but it just really didn't feel like the Jets were actually close to being all that dangerous. It's sort of strange to say when you have credit for a number of high-danger scoring opportunities in this period, but it just felt like for some reason, the Jets finishing just really wasn't there. I didn't see Demko having to make a lot of really great saves for the most part. You know, Winnipeg wasn't really getting shooting angles where it felt like Demko was ever at risk. If anything, it felt like Vancouver had a couple of nice little opportunities that guys like Zach McEwen just sort of sailed over the net, or that Hellebuck was wise to. Winnipeg did get some really nice looks on either side of the goal mouth, but aside from that, I just felt like, I don't know, it's just a strange game. It's one of those things where I feel like the Jets are playing well, but not exactly well enough to really run up the score or anything. These are all the games that tend to make me a little bit nervous because when the Jets sort of let off the gas once they have a lead, it does get a little bit ugly. I didn't feel like the Jets were backing off in this one, though. Generally speaking, again, they had a pretty good second period. I think that they generally controlled play at a pretty high level. The danger is that I just feel like they haven't capitalized on enough of the opportunities that they've been creating. For as many good scoring chances as, as the Jets have created throughout this entire game, they just haven't really put any of them away. Which, you know, some of it is Thatcher Demko being really great, some of it's just the Jets being a bit sloppy. On the whole, I think there are a couple of observations to take away. For one thing, the second line just doesn't really have much chemistry. You know, when Ehlers, Dubois, and Connor are out there, it often feels like it's maybe two-thirds of a line or sometimes one-third of a line. Dubois definitely doesn't get utilized as much because I think his style of play is very different from the way Connor and uh, Ehlers are looking to score. You know, Ehlers and Connor both attack the slot from a very high angle, and they're certainly looking to hit snipes from, you know, down the center of the ice, whereas Dubois is often looking for those backdoor passes or essentially trying to muscle his way towards the goal side where he can sort of bully his way towards the front of the net and try and use his upper body strength to elevate something. I feel like Ehlers and Connor haven't really been looking for him, so it doesn't really feel like he's often as involved as he should be. When he was used as a winger alongside Blake and Mark, it definitely felt like he was a more forceful presence on that first line because he was essentially allowed to drive the net more aggressively. He was probably the best transition skater on that line, and most certainly when in possession, he can be a really dominant threat. Other teams will often try and mark out Shifley and Wheeler in order to reduce what they feel as the goal-scoring threat, but if you have Dubois up there, it's really hard to do that because Dubois is such a big guy with a really good top gear and pretty good acceleration, and he's got a nice center of gravity. So getting, you know, PLD off the puck, not exactly an easy task. It just feels like, though, when he's cast as the second-line center with Ehlers and Connor, we're not really seeing the best of him, and maybe it's him, or maybe it's just his line. I don't really feel like there's a lot of chemistry between any of them. And oftentimes, you know, Nick is the one who's looking to take the shot, which is fine. I think Ehlers should be a, a primary shooter on that line, but I wouldn't mind if he picks his head up a little bit more and looks to use Dubois, especially around the goal mouth. As far as other observations are concerned, there's not a whole lot to say. Um, Logan Stanley was fine in his limited ice time. I think he's had a pretty good deployment, one that's very sheltered and tends not to expose him too much. He's been, you know, fairly capable, and I feel like he's not being given stuff that's too complicated. As long as he stays away from guys like Niels Hoglander and really speedy fast forwards with really high agility, I tend to think Stanley does well with those assignments, certainly not getting matched up in the defensive zone against really difficult players. Morrissey and Pullman not really doing all that well. I mean, Morrissey has looked better in this game. I feel like he's been more active and more aggressive. 
Partly, I think he's succeeding because this is Vancouver, and also because he has won a few of his physical challenges. Pullman is definitely the one who's probably struggling more. Tucker's just not really cut out for top-end deployments, and I feel like when he has to make a lot of decisions on the puck, oftentimes he turns it over, or he gets pressured and turns it over in the corners, or he passes it into dangerous areas. He's just a bit slow for these really high-end deployments, and I feel like a pairing with him and Stanley is actually a lot better if you want to use them in sheltered minutes. When those two are together playing like 10-11 minutes a night, that's a very successful pairing. Let DeMello handle the tougher stuff with Josh, because I feel like Morrissey definitely needs DeMello's presence in steadying that end and, and trying to be a safety valve and outlet. Um, on the forward end of things, there's not a whole lot to say. Generally speaking, again, the Jets forwards were fine, but I didn't really feel like the finishing was all that precise. You know, they were getting into good areas, but I, I didn't see a lot of really great shots. A couple of good chances down low, and I, I think that there are some very good opportunities that the Jets were close to creating, but not really capitalizing on. I just feel like the team needs to be more clinical. I know it's a late start time, but the Jets... After having a couple of really bad losses, they do need to have a big response, and we'll find out in just a moment if, in fact, the Jets in the third period showed up, or if we saw more of the same from this team that's a bit lackluster and maybe not that enthralling. Before then, though, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why Built Bar Madness needs to be something you're tuned into every weekday. For those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast by now, you're very familiar with Built Bars. If you somehow still don't know, it's the best tasting protein bar on the market, and it's always amazingly low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, but best of all, it tastes fantastic. And of course, there are so many fabulous flavors to choose from, no matter what you're looking for, and every single Built Bar is coated in 100% real chocolate. When it comes to brass tacks, though, there can only be one truly greatest Built Bar flavor, and now it's time for you to decide which one reigns supreme. Welcome to Built Bar Madness. Today's matchup, you will be able to vote for coconut versus white chocolate birthday cake. To cast your vote, go to builtbar.com slash pages slash brackets and cast your vote there. Personally, I'm going to lean with uh, white chocolate birthday cake here. I think that flavor is delicious, but if you're more into coconuts, certainly fair. I don't judge you, and it's all about having the most fun. Since you're going to be at BuiltBar.com, you might as well grab a few Built Bars for yourself, so be sure to use promo code LOCKED15 to receive 15% off your next order, and don't forget to check BuiltBar.com slash pages slash brackets to check out which flavors have won each matchup. When it comes to the wild west of online betting, you need to know that there's a single name you can trust above everyone else. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, international soccer, and so many other sports are all in full swing. If you're not into sports, no problem. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, featuring real-time, updated odds, and props on almost anything you can imagine. Whether you want to bet on who the next Stanley Cup champion is going to be, or who's getting voted off your favorite reality TV show next. BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds you need to make the most informed bets possible. It truly is your one-stop shop for all your online betting needs. So stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action today. Get started by heading on over to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up, and when you register for a free account, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON at registration for a 50% welcome bonus when you make your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are discussing Vancouver versus Winnipeg, and after two periods of maybe some ups, maybe some downs, but for the most part, a fairly controlled Winnipeg game in terms of the second period and maybe a little bit of an uneven first period, the Jets now entered the third period with a one nothing lead. 
For some reason, the Jets decided this was the period they'd get all of their scoring for the game done. Things kicked off pretty quickly when Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp found themselves in a two-on-one. Adam Lowry actually shot this one, and I think it went off of, like, a Travis Hamonick's stick or something, and somehow it just seemed to pop over Demko's shoulder. Andrew Kopp was there to push the puck in if he needed to, but in fact, no one else touched it. It just went into the net, and it was basically... Kind of a known goal, but also credited to Lowry. Hilariously, I think the expected goals on this one was something like .04, which is great because this was actually a great scoring chance for Cop uh, and or Lowry to pot this one away, regardless of who got the marker. And, you know, it, it's one of those situations where expected goals can't capture all of the threat, but it was also just a really funny goal to watch in motion. Um, unfortunately for Vancouver, they lost Bo Horvat very quickly into the period as well. He took a shot from, I believe, his own player, uh, Alexander Edler, pinged it off of him, off of his, like, ankle or something, and Horvat had to come off the ice and did not return to the game. Already down Petherson, Pearson, and Horvat, Vancouver basically just started to run out of gas, and you could tell as the period wore on, the Canucks just didn't have anything in the tank. I, I think that this is one of those games where injuries and fatigue definitely set in, and then they kept hitting the post. They hit the crossbar and post about four times. On top of Hellebuck being very sharp and net, it's just one of those games where it's not your night, and Winnipeg basically did the rest. They really controlled the play. The third period was probably one of the easier periods they've had this year. And then the absolute dagger was goal number three when, again, the third line with Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry had a fantastic shift inside the offensive zone. Andrew Kopp was behind the net, kept the possession alive, passed it off, and then kind of looped around to the right side. Adam Lowry was on the doorstep. Andrew Kopp redirected a pass and basically crossed it over the crease for Adam Lowry to tap home. It was a brilliant goal, something very deserved for this third line. I thought that they had an extremely great shift. And just one of those things that reminds you at times when the Jets are playing to the standards that we know they can show us every now and then, Winnipeg will look like a really good team. It's not going to be against, you know, a lot of really great quality opponents, but for the most part, you know, you take it where you can get it. The very last goal on the evening was partly when Thatcher Demko got pulled. Uh, Paul Stastny ended up potting one from a nice little feed from Mark Scheifele. Not too much to say on this one. The net was basically empty when Demko had vacated it, so he really didn't have time to reset. And actually, he did a very good job recovering. Almost could get himself into position, but of course, not fast enough to prevent Stastny from scoring. And Paulie Walnuts actually had a nice little milestone goal on the night in, I believe, his 977th game. Following the footsteps of his dad who played his last career game against Vancouver, his dad did didn't score, but Polly Walnuts did. Overall, just a really nice vibes night, especially for a Pride Night celebration. It was great to see the representation, and of course, the Jets had a really nice performance. All in all, I feel like this was just a, a nice, a nice performance. I really don't think you can point out too many issues. Maybe the Jets, you could say, got a bit fortunate that, you know, Vancouver hit the post three or four times, but to be quite honest, it was a very deserved shutout. The Jets mostly controlled the game, and I felt like they really deserved the win. It's not often that I can say Winnipeg dominates, but this was a game where the Jets basically controlled the game from period two and onwards. They will get a chance to do it again on Wednesday, also against the Vancouver Canucks. I would expect the Jets to win this one too, especially if Vancouver is still down some of their top players. And then the Jets head into Calgary on Friday. So a pretty packed schedule ahead for this uh, Winnipeg team. We'll see how Winnipeg handles everything. So far, nice performance. Good response after the Oilers' losses. Let us keep the good times rolling. For tonight's episode that will do it, we will talk about the Jets game on tomorrow's episode. But before you log off, be sure to check out Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Get the upper hand in your fantasy hockey league with daily fantasy hockey advice from Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Expert Scott Cullen gives you the tips, insights, and analysis for season-long Dynasty and DFS League. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Hockey podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your favorite shows. As always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!